Whether on the go or at the table, get lost in a conversation about everything coffee with your host, Eric Ortiz. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Everything Coffee, a podcast that delves into the relationship of coffee with a variety of people for manufacturers, cafe owners, coffee roasters, social media personalities, and so much more. This podcast takes on a deep conversation about everything coffee. Today, I'm joined by Jacob Limmer, owner of Cottonwood Coffee, located in Brookings, South Dakota. Since 2006, he has operated Cottonwood, and he's expanded and opened a new retail location. In 2011, he began roasting his own coffee for the business and heavily invested in wholesale and e-commerce divisions up to this point in time. He was also featured on my very own segment, Tooting My Own Horn, Seems Roaster Spotlight, a segment where we got insight into the philosophy of coffee for Jacob. You can view that segment on Instagram and YouTube at Java's Jaxie. That's J-A-V-A-S-J-A-X-I-E. And without further ado, let me introduce, and uh, my pleasure to introduce, of course, Mr. Jacob Limmer. Jacob, how you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. I am looking forward to continuing a great conversation that we have already had. Absolutely, man. I I, uh, I, I know off off the uh, the podcast, um, I was talking to you a little bit about the last time we talked was really when we did uh, Roaster Spotlight, and um, I, I just really enjoyed the conversation. There, there was a few episodes, I think I did maybe like 15 or 16 episodes, but there was a few standouts that really just grabbed my attention, and you were definitely one of those individuals, that's for sure. I uh, appreciate that. Absolutely. It was a... You know, it's <laughs> we sometimes people like to talk about themselves. I'm glad it, you uh, found it interesting. Oh no, I I I was fascinated with the conversation. Um the the whole the whole idea when I do these things, I I always kind of laugh because it it's always uh it's it's always like just kind of uh being in the dark there, uh never really knowing who I'm going to get as a guest and and I try to gauge people's personalities a little bit and when I <laughs> and I've done a few of those episodes there, there was some challenges, I'll tell you, but uh, yours was just kind of like easy. Um, in fact, there was just so much data, so much content that you produced uh, that, that it was so hard for me to kind of cut everything down. But I really did talk uh, with you and, and I really got a good insight about what's going on. So so tell me a little bit about yourself, Jacob. I, I know a little bit, but uh, tell the world, what's what's uh, what's Jacob Limmer? Who is Jacob Limmer? Uh, that That's a great question. I'm still sorting that out. Uh, but I, I'll give you, <laughs> I'll give you the cliff notes thus far. Uh, I, I'm a South Dakota boy. I grew up in South Dakota. I grew up on a farm. Um, I went to high school in the capital of South Dakota, also known as Pier. And uh, as luck would have it, I uh, got into a small pr- private liberal arts college in Minnesota called Carleton, which was a really a, a game changer for me. And uh, I, I, I went there intending to study medicine and become a doctor or of some type. And once I got there, first of all, I experienced an academic culture shock because coming from a public school in South Dakota, uh, not to disparage the public school systems here, but the, a lot of the people I was going to school with at Carleton uh, had been in private schools and, and other things like that. Uh, so I, I, it was a challenge for me to get acclimated to the pace and the rigors of that, of that college. And I ended up taking a little bit of time off. And when I did, I was fortunate to work at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, which was a big break for me. 
And the funny part about that is that while doing that, I learned that I really didn't have the passion for medicine that I thought I did. I think I was attracted to the lifestyle or what I perceived as the lifestyle. And so you see that experience, you save yourself a lot of money. I'm, I'm going to tell you that uh, right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and, and so I went back to Carleton and completed my studies and my undergrad studies there, but I changed my focus to uh, ecology and environmental sciences. And when I left South Dakota to go to college, I really never expected to go back. Um, I, I guess I didn't give it a ton of thought, but I really thought I was on to what I would have considered at the time bigger and better things. But, you know, it's not especially uh, uncommon for that situation to occur in young people. And then I realized that there were a lot of things about South Dakota that I loved. And my newfound or rekindled interest in land management, prairie restoration, uh, small-scale farming, and those types of things, and my family drew me back to South Dakota. So I moved back to South Dakota after graduating in 2003, uh, bought a small farm, uh, worked for my father doing land management and uh, prairie restoration. And on my own farm, I started doing organic uh, produce farming, going to farmer's markets and doing um, CSAs for people and things like that. I did a little stint as a community organizer for a nonprofit. And in the process of that, I was meeting a lot of people, members of this uh, community organization. And uh, at the time, there were no uh, coffee houses in this college town. Brookings, for context, is... Uh, 30, 35,000 people. It's fairly rural. It's got a, a big university. Uh, but at the time, they didn't have a coffee house uh, really like we would expect now. Which is mind-blowing. It, it, that is mind-blowing to it, think it, that, it, that that didn't exist. Yeah, it really is. I, and trust me, that's changed. I, I think we have, I, I don't even know, I've lost count, um, 12 maybe now. Uh, not all independents, but you know, various places, drive throughs things like that. So that's changed a lot over the last 16 years. But at the time, I had this naive idea that I would, uh, because I was a farmer and busy during the summer, that a coffee house would be busy during the winter. And uh, I'd be able to do my farming and then make money or make an income uh, doing this coffee house thing in the winter. And I had no business experience whatsoever. Um, no, you know, I had some food uh, retail experience, but limited. And I, I managed to convince a business partner that it was a good idea. And we went for it in 2006. And so we built out our first location and opened uh, right around this time in 2006. And it, because of uh, luck, hard work, and the, the state of the, of, of the local economy there, not having a coffee house, we were busy immediately. And uh, my business partner and I decided that it would make sense to try to replicate that. So we opened another location. The original one was we, we call Cottonwood Coffee. The second one we opened, uh, we call Cottonwood Bistro. And we did bring a much bigger food menu. And I was trying to incorporate a lot of the produce that I was growing on my farm and, and trying to uh, highlight the other local producers in the area using grass-fed local beef and, and things like that. Um, and, and, and so that, that was a challenge. Uh, I was not prepared as a business person to operate two locations after having just started the first one a year or two prior. But I, uh, one thing about uh, my personality is I'm very determined and maybe to a flaw. 
And so we just plowed through and made it happen. And, and that location is uh, doing well now. And like you mentioned, I was uh, initially I was buying coffee from a roaster called PT's Coffee based out of Topeka, Kansas, which is um, still still one of the well-respected roasters in the country. Uh, a great company. Uh, I'm friends with the owners. They're tremendous people. And I, I did that for the first five years. And uh, the reason that I started roasting for myself in 2011, roughly, was primarily because I was getting very nervous about the way coffee prices were increasing. And it was getting difficult to see how I could essentially pass those cost, those costs on to my customers. And again, I come from we operate in a fairly rural area. Uh, we don't have the same um, standard of living as metro areas, for example. And so I was getting nervous about that. And in, in addition, an interesting caveat to that is that it's hard to remember, and, and maybe some of your listeners won't remember this because they're too young, but in 2006, the internet was very different than it is now. And even though we had a fairly... Uh, respectable uh, access to information even back then, it was nothing like it is now. The YouTube videos did not exist. The uh, ability to contact people in your industry did not exist the way it, it does now. It changed the world. It changed the it world. Re- definitely it, did. it really did. And so those were like the dark days. <laughs> and uh, and so roasting was like a, a dark art that you really needed to be an apprentice in order to learn. And by 2011, uh, I was able to feel confident that it is something that I could tackle. And again, uh, no real experience. Uh, I had coffee experience by that by that point. So it was quite a uh, steep learning curve. And I think we, you know, I think we spent the first couple of years. I did all the roasting. I still do most of the roasting. Um, really just learning on the fly. Uh, and, and that's a bit, you know, I think that I ended up connecting with some great mentors along the way. So I, I I can't take all the credit uh, by any means, but I was I was going to uh, ask you about that, like uh, all all these individuals, because when I've talked to roasters in the past, there's always been that one or two persons in their life that really sparked them and and uh, introduced them to the to the to the dark art, you might say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was that for you? And 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 I mean, how 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 challenging was that for you entirely? I mean, obviously you're still learning to this point. And I mean, you, you've had now what 11 years of experience doing it and you're still learning. Yeah. Uh, that is an easy answer. That guy is named Tracy Allen and he owns a company in Kansas city called brood behavior, which is, uh, uh, he does a lot of things, but I would probably, uh, call him a consultant. Uh, He really is a master of the trade. He, he is, a. I I met him. He was a, a partner uh, uh, in some capacity in, in Zoka uh, on the West coast. And he's a Missouri raised guy. And, and so he was doing all these things all over the place, including out in, uh, uh, in the Pacific Northwest with Zoka. And it's my understanding. And I say that just so that I can cover my uh, cover myself. If I make some mistakes here and, and Tracy ends up hearing this, but I think that he um, sold his, share in the company or something of that nature and ended up uh, going back to the Kansas city area and founding this company brood behavior. I had met him at a trade show in Minneapolis uh, way back in the day, probably 
in 2008, perhaps. And uh, we have a similar background in terms of being uh, from rural areas, and we have a lot of the same values. And so we hit it off right away. Uh, it's fortunate because he really, truly is a master in of, of the of the trade, and so he's a uh, accomplished roaster. He's a accomplished uh, taster. He was the past president of the SCA recently, uh, and he has amazing connections in the industry. And he's given me just um, tremendous advice and mentorship uh, over the last decade, and to the point now where. We're in the process of working in a more formal way. Uh, we, we talk on a regular basis, and, and he's helped me uh, just immensely. I, I don't even know if I would be able to roast uh, at any near, anywhere near the level that I am now without his, his guidance. Well, I, I, I've, I've been fortunate to, to enjoy some of your coffee, and, and it's been um, – I, I often like to say on my Instagram feed, like I have a top five, and, and um, I, I can officially say that that's if, that, that still stands to this day, Jacob. I still stands uh, a top five. I won't. I won't say what number you land on, <laughs> but but you're top five, and that's good. Okay, I mean we'll, we'll settle for that. But um, tell me a little bit. I I, I want to say the last time we talked, we mentioned about the business side of things, and um, if, if not mistaken, I I remember you talking about that and saying it, it was it was kind of a struggle at first. Um, were you? Did you have any background at all in, in, in business ownership? Anything running a company? Anything of that nature? Uh, almost none. I had the small produce farm that I had been operating since I moved back to South Dakota, but that barely counts. Uh, you know, the accounting was was simple, and um, I, there were no employees. Uh, essentially, no employees, and and you know, jokingly, no income, but. Uh, I no, and and I I I remain to this day committed to learning business practices properly, and I even now work with a an advisory group that are heavily involved in my company, and we we work. That's what we primarily work on are uh, is creating systems and uh, doing business the right way. Uh, I often tell people. And something that we may have spoken about previously, when people ask for advice about getting into the coffee business, I always urge them to consider a strong education in, in business uh, as, as a more important factor than having a passion for coffee, which can sound kind of strange. The way I would frame it is that you can be successful in, in the coffee industry without uh, without having had come to the table with the with the passion and experience in coffee, but with the passion and experience in business systems, and you can learn the coffee part. Uh, you, presumably, if you're getting into the business, you have some level of, of passion and interest in coffee. So it's never mutually exclusive. There's never one or the other. But um, another way of saying it is that it is a, a common error for people to have a strong passion for coffee or probably many other businesses but to be like me and not have the business experience and you're really uh, you're really putting yourself at a serious disadvantage. It is so hard to start a business. And when you don't have that foundation of understanding of business principles, you're really just making it that much harder. And uh, that's uh, that, I think that that is what makes the odds of success for new 
entrepreneurs in the coffee industry uh, so slim is because they're they're trying to master so many things at the same time, and and the business principles are really what drive the company. And without those, it's it's just really tricky stuff. What would you say, uh, Jacob, is is the thing that drives Cottonwood for you? I mean, obviously, you you uh, when you first started off, you told me that that really it was just Cottonwood for a while, and and it was booming. And then uh, coffee got popular all of a sudden. Uh, it, was a, yeah. it was a hip thing, and uh, people wanted in on the action, of course. And cafes opened up, and before you know it, competition. Um, so, so what drives Cottonwood for you all? Well, there are a lot of answers to that. Community is one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a person that would be interested in a business that consists of selling widgets. Uh, I, 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 there needs to be more... Uh, more a connection to the customer, more more of a connection to the community for me. So that's one aspect. And I wanted to go back to something you had said. And, and uh, I, I deeply appreciate the compliment about our coffee, but I want to uh, give a, a, a bit of a caveat to that. We, we intentionally roast the way we do because we want to uh, make coffee accessible to the broadest possible demographic. And what I mean by that is we could certainly source the highest end, most expensive coffee, and hopefully we could do a good job of roasting that. And hopefully the outcome would be, you know, amazing coffees. I tend not to do that. We do that sometimes because, you know, there are a lot of coffee nerds within my, within my staff and myself included. Uh, and there are, there are customers, certainly customers in our area and, and in e-commerce, et cetera, that appreciate that. But we really focus on um, taking a a very good coffee, but not something that is getting written up in coffee review or you know splashed all over Instagram. And then we do the best job we can uh, roasting that and then presenting that in a way that customers will appreciate. I always think of my parents and my grandparents when I think about coffee. I want them to be the type of people that will appreciate what I'm doing. I. I love the industry and I love the people that are on the bleeding edge of quality and pushing, pushing that forward. But that's not who I'm thinking about when I'm roasting. I'm thinking about regular people that uh, just want coffee as part of their daily routine. You might, you might say almost like in, in, I I guess I'm simplifying this, but the snobbery of coffee that, that can come with it. I mean, it's not saying everyone is in that realm. I mean, I I've, I've been guilty of it myself where I've, you know, I've had to have these special beans or this special roast, but I, you know, I, I guess that's what you see a lot on YouTube, uh, YouTubers, social media, people that go out to these cafes and really make coffee elite over just the normal, everything, you know, presence of a, a ritual, a tradition that you just yeah. go out there and enjoy yourself. I mean, how would you describe your, your, um, your cafe? How's, how would that be an experience going in there? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, I wish I had an off-the-cuff easy answer for that. We, we have allowed the, the uh, culture of our company to develop somewhat organically, driven by how our customers engage with us. I, I don't try to dictate what our culture is. Uh, I, I will tell you just just as an interjection here, the values that we usually put forward that we're most proud of are uh, expertise, authenticity, and pride of place. 
And so those are the three things we think about when we're, when we talk internally about our company values and our company culture. But in terms of how our customer, I, I really prefer to allow our customers to, to drive our culture uh, based on how they see us. Uh, we, so, and what that means to me is that we provide a, an open environment, a welcoming environment, a uh, participatory environment. Um, we, you know, alluding to what you said earlier, we do not allow any type of snobbery. Uh, if, if there's a drink that we can make, we'll make it. It may not be what any of us on the staff want to drink, but if we can make it and we think we can do a good job of it, we'll do it. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, pass judgment on our customers. Um, you know, we, we have a, we have a traditional, our, our downtown location, our original location is a fairly traditional coffee shop. Uh, in terms of the layout and the ambiance and things like that, it's um, tables and and wooden booths and uh, a classic uh, coffee bar with a Simonelli uh, espresso machine and and you know those types of things. Uh, so it, it doesn't, from the outside, appear much different than many other places. And but we really do take pride in in meeting the market where they're at, meeting our customers where they're at, and giving them what they want as opposed to trying to dictate to them what we think they should want. I like that. I, I totally agree with that philosophy. I, I, I can't imagine how many times I've, I've gone to a cafe where I've just been like, "Eh, I don't really feel like anything like that, but you feel just so, I don't know, I I guess guilty for wanting to ask, can you make this instead? Um, Just, just because of the atmosphere you might be in. So, so I, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. Cottonwood kind of rejects that snobbery and and kind of goes forward and and, and caters to the individuals uh, drinking coffee out for you as well. What, what kind of um, challenges have you faced over these last couple of years? I know with COVID having occurred and still occurring, uh, I I can't imagine that this this has been easy for a lot of people. How, how's that been affecting you? Uh, I wish I could say that COVID was the worst of it. But it's not. It's it's everything that we've dealt with in the last, I would say, six to twelve months have been much more difficult, actually, than the depths of the COVID pandemic. Uh, I will say that that was bad. We our our retail sales dropped eighty five ninety percent in a matter of days, and you know we were essentially shut down. Even though South Dakota, uh, fairly famous for not having any kind of restrictions, we do. Brookings within South Dakota is a fairly progressive area. Uh, and we, we had some citywide regulations and restrictions that we abided by. And, and then we were, you know, of course we're taking things seriously ourselves. So we essentially shut down, uh, to carry out and delivery only. And, and, uh, it was a wild time. We were able to stabilize ourselves and, and, and picked back up, uh, fairly quickly. And then in our area, uh, we were able to open up with social distancing, mass, and um, reduce seating capacity, and those types of things. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't uh, as bad as it could have been, and we were able to weather that quite quite successfully. Uh, we made a lot of improvements to our infrastructure, to our you know to our building, to our we painted, we remodeled all those kinds of things because we had a lot of downtime and a lot of staff. And but the challenges since have been very uh, difficult. So uh, 
the the rising price of input costs has been a real struggle. Supply chain issues have been a real struggle. And then we have seen some changes in the workforce that have been difficult to uh, adjust to. And I would say that staffing currently is one of the biggest challenges that we've faced in the 16 years we've been in business. I'm hearing that a lot from people, just uh, trying to get anyone to to come out there and, and, and do the job. It's uh, It's been a struggle for a lot of businesses out there, and, and uh, I guess it's affecting you as well. Yeah, we are fortunate. We still have a, a, a significant number of really amazing employees, but and and I should say I have a great deal of sympathy for the uh, the workers that we have and the employees that we have and employees across the spectrum in other retail operations and things like that. They're not wrong for. Uh, changing the power dynamic with employers. I think that that's a healthy process. It is really hard to accept that I'm getting rolled up in that <laughs> as an employer myself that has always been employee first. Um, but I, I respect the the entry level. Uh, you know, a lot of baristas are entry level employees and no negativity associated with that in my mind. But uh, I, I have a lot of respect for that that type of worker uh, demanding more in their workplace. And it's something that we uh, are more than willing to to work with them on. We're cons- constrained by our macro economy and our regional economy. And in balancing all of that on the fly and with such rapid change has been uh, difficult. I can imagine. Uh, I... I... I remember the last time we talked, I remember hearing your, your kind of, um, you were a little bit more optimistic about everything. And I still hear that in your voice, but looking back at since the last time we talked, which was pre COVID, I believe, uh, or even during COVID, it might've, it might've been during pre COVID the, the Jacob that you would have known before when you ran that shop up to the point after COVID, what, what advice changes for you at that point for anyone getting into the business with, with the challenges you've seen kind of uh, grow steadily over these past few years. What, what is it that changed during that time? My advice uh, to my former self would be you know, buckle up. And you have to be, if you had to be good at running a business pre-COVID, you have to be exceptional now. And you can't just be, producing good coffee, you have to be exceptional at all areas of your business, whether it's the finances and accounting, whether it's the staff management and leadership, uh, whether it's the customer service, all of those things have to be right now is we're, we're really getting into, you know, I, I don't want to be overly pessimistic about it, but we're getting into some tough times. And, you know, I, I uh, had the, the fortune or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, of having been through this once before in 2008. And, and so I've seen, I've seen dark economic times before, not the darkest by any means, but it was uh, extremely challenging for us in that early stage of our business. And so this is uh, this feels similar and you know, the, the strong survive and I don't mean to be crass, but that is really what is going to play out in my opinion. Uh, the strong will survive. And, and what that means in practical terms is that 
you really have to be the best operator you can be. And you really have to be so engaged and, and so aware of what every aspect of your business is doing. Uh, there are, there's not going to be any time for slacking in the next, I don't even want to know, um, certainly in the next six to eight, 18 months. Yeah, I, I sure hope it's it's not a long uh, time frame that anyone has to deal with the constraints that's been occurring across the world, really. It's it's not just citywide, but definitely across yeah. the world. What's the future for Cottonwood, Jacob? What's uh, what's it looking like for you in, in terms of the goals you've set it out or or just just uh, is it just right now buckle up and, and just kind of weather the storm? No, I'm a, I'm always a, I'm always a, a eternal optimist, A, and B, I'm always a gas pedal to the floor type of guy. Um, I, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the off switch yet. So uh, we are, we're, you know, we're, I'm, I'm very focused on making sure that my staff are the best that they can be and that they're satisfied with their job. And the, and the reason for that is, it's, you know, it's the right thing to do, but also because that's what will provide the best service and product for our customers. And, you know, that all translates back into a profitable, successful business, of course. Uh, beyond that, I'm very focused on wholesale and e-commerce and in particular wholesale right now. I think that we can, as a company, I think we can provide a, uh, a unique value proposition for another company that does not roast for themselves, we leverage our cost of living, our lower cost of living in the Midwest. So, and, and also our values. I mean, we don't, uh, we don't gouge even if we could, we don't. And so I think we can provide a very high quality product. And then uh, one of the things that I've seen wholesale accounts and, and the, their staff and operators appreciate is that I'm always available to them. So it's almost like a quasi consultation. And, and to me, it makes so much sense because, of course, these people uh, are looking for not just coffee, but a relationship. And, and within that uh, advice, you know, speaking from my experience and, and giving them some pointers on things I've already gone through that may help them be more efficient or avoid the same mistakes, those types of things. So, uh, yeah, the wholesale stuff is really a top priority for us. And then we're growing our e-commerce brand as well. Uh, we did just recently collaborate with a company that is fairly new based out of Bentonville, Arkansas, called the Coffee Collective. Uh, the Coffee Collective is a, a company that negotiates on behalf of roasters with uh, other big box chain retailers. In this case, in no surprise being from Bentonville, Arkansas, their uh, first big contract is with Walmart. And so... Walmart is uh, working on an initiative where they're going to be bringing local roasters into uh, some of their stores. They did a pilot program, uh, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it was three metros, uh, and and that was really successful for for everyone involved. And so now in July, they're going to roll that out to, well, nationwide, I think – Oh man, I can't even remember the number, but it's a it's a significant number of stores. I want to say fifteen hundred stores nationwide. But um, that is impressive. I know that, yeah, that that's yeah, impressive. My, that's that's that sounds like fun. Just just having Walmart be part of something as big as this that's that's already I, good on its own. I think it's a I think it's a cool idea, and we'll be in the Minnesota area, 
in the Minnesota region. Uh, South Dakota does, does not have a uh, Walmart is not have, does not have any stores participating in South Dakota. So there there's about 32 stores in Walmart. Uh, my company and three other companies will be servicing some of those stores or all those stores in, in Minnesota here starting in July. Uh, so we're really excited about that. You know, I think it doesn't sound like an obvious fit taking our coffee into Walmart. Uh, it's not, it wouldn't be our first, uh, our first approach necessarily, but, the, the idea, the, the way the coffee collective is crafting this and the way that Walmart has stepped up is so intriguing and compelling to me because they're going to be highlighting uh, local roasters and really pushing that as a amenity within their store. And I, I just think that's the right move for everyone. So uh, it's always been my position that I don't really like to think about competing with my peers in the industry. Uh, whatever roaster you can think of that that might be um, other specialty roasters. I like to think about, because if I look at the pie, the overall pie of coffee drinkers in our country, the majority of them are drinking um, mediocre, low quality stuff that they're buying at a, at a grocery store or a Walmart for in, the, in many cases. And I, I want to compete against the companies that are selling them mediocre coffee. I want the people that are going in and out of convenience or out of uh, uh, not having a full understanding of the value of specialty coffee. They're just grabbing whatever looks reasonably good and reasonably cheap. I think we can make the pie, the section of the pie for the specialty market much larger. And uh, that's, that's my goal in, in business right now is, and so that's one of the reasons why I was so excited about this partnership with Walmart. Absolutely. I uh, I could not agree more with you about just getting coffee freshly roasted um, in people's hands and just just letting them enjoy the difference of what fresh coffee really does taste like. Uh, Jacob, tell me, uh, tell everyone, the listeners, I should say, not me. I I know where you're at, but tell everyone where where they can find you. Where, where's Cottonwood at? Where's uh, locations? Any Java? Uh, any anything with Instagram? Anything on YouTube? Yeah, sure. So we're located in Brookings, South Dakota, and that is um, uh, often people are not super familiar with. Uh, we, we get called the flyover state, flyover states occasionally, which you know, uh, we, we take it as a badge of honor. Um, so, so Brookings is equidistant north and south in South Dakota and about uh, 20 miles into South Dakota on the east side. Uh, so it's pretty close to Minnesota. It's about four hours from Minneapolis. It's about three hours from uh, Fargo, North Dakota, and Omaha, Nebraska, roughly. Um, we have two retail locations here in Brookings. We have the the downtown location, which is the older of the two, and then we have the bistro in the same town, about a couple miles apart. Uh, our social media is all Cottonwood dot Coffee, uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook primarily, and then our website is cottonwoodcoffee.com and we have uh, all the information there we have access to if you want information about wholesale our wholesale program or if you want to buy coffee or you want to see our menu what our shops look like all that stuff is there as well jacob as always i'm so grateful to you for giving me your time and our conversations are always amazing my good friend thank you so much for everything yeah i appreciate it as well man i feel like we could talk for hours if, if they let us Jacob, we could, <laughs> but, but I don't think we should, sir. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, of course. 
And don't forget to subscribe to and get lost in a conversation about everything coffee. Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Visit Everything Coffee at everythingcoffee.podbean.com and visit us on Instagram at everything.coffee.podcast. Thank you for joining us and supporting local businesses in your city and around the world.